again, as our kids make their way to Center Kids, I want to welcome you uh, to our gathering today. Glad uh, that you're gathering with us. And as we settle in, let's go ahead. You can open your Bibles if you have them with you to Galatians chapter 5. Or we're today, uh, what we're going to do today, we're going to kind of uh, begin the process of um, n- not necessarily pivoting, uh, but looking at, at what Paul uh, is going to do in uh, leading us into the product uh, of the freedom that the follower of Jesus has been given uh, through the finished work of the Son. You see, the last two weeks, what we've been doing is we've been building uh, on uh, really Galatians 5 verse 1, which uh, what Paul says, he he's laid out, uh, really, this is what the gospel is. There's no other good news. Uh, you know, uh, circumcision won't get you there. The, the fulfillment of the law won't get you there. Whatever it is, whatever you're putting your hope in, nothing but Jesus uh, will give you the freedom that you're after. And, and so what he says, he says it's for freedom that you've been set free. So Jesus, through uh, his life, death, and resurrection, has uh, brought our freedom. He Actually, he purchased our freedom. Uh, but in that, we are now uh, given uh, not only new life, but uh, this freedom to live freely. So what he says, he says, it's for freedom that you have been set free, therefore stand firm... And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What he's saying is, say, hey, look, because of the freedom you have in Jesus, uh, stand firm in it. And again, the, even the strength for that standing firm is God's grace. Uh, but in standing firm, the reason we're called to that is so that we don't go back. We don't begin to walk back into the slavery that we've come from. If you read, man, the story of God, the story of God's word, what we find over and over again is that's our tendency. Uh, even if you look at the story of, of God liberating his people from Egypt, what happens is the exodus happens. And almost immediately after, uh, man, as they're uh, getting ready to, tr- to cross the Red Sea, uh, man, circumstances arise. And what do the people do? They'd be like, well, it would be better for us to be enslaved. Then die here uh, at the Red Sea. They get across the Red Sea, so God delivers them again. What do they begin to do? Well, it would be better that we were slaves in Egypt because at least we would have food. So there's this tendency to for us to forget our freedom. And that's what's happened to the church in Galatia. They forgot the freedom that they had been given. And so Paul is arguing this, and he's calling them not to submit to a yoke of slavery. And so what we're going to see... Uh, uh, from the, the time that we worked through that verse two weeks ago, really until we close out our time in this letter, uh, the goal uh, that Paul has for us is to build out the implications or the product for what this freedom really means for our lives. You see, it's one thing to, to, to know that you're free. It's another thing to live freely. It's one thing to know the freedom that you have, and we can have a head knowledge of it, uh, but it's another thing to allow it uh, and begin to see what does that mean for my heart, and what does that mean for every relationship and action that takes place in my life. You see, what Paul is doing in this letter is seeking to call the Galatians and us away from the enslavement that is found in the law into freedom that can only be found in Christ. And so with that, I want you to think for a moment about a time in your life when you felt free. 
Just think about, man, maybe there was a situation or something that happened in life where you felt, man, it was a moment you're like, man, I feel really free right now. Maybe it was whenever you got your driver's license and you were able to drive on your own, right? Like you go out that first trip. I mean, I was probably like nine when I did this. Uh, raised in a small town. Uh, but, you know, that, that freedom of just having the windows roll down, the music as loud as you want, whatever station you want, you know, no one's controlling it. I mean, you feel, you feel that freedom, right? So you have that. Maybe uh, it was uh, that moment uh, that you voluntarily left or were kicked out of the house after your senior year of high school, right? Like that, that kind of freedom, that anticipation of, you know, that excitement of, man, I'm going to go live out on my own. I'm going to go be free, right? If I want to eat ice cream for dinner, I'm going to eat ice cream for dinner, right? Like that, that's, it's that kind of freedom. Like you feel free. Maybe it was uh, following, maybe it was receiving a clean bill of health following a long medical scare or a medical emergency. Right? You ever walked through that and like that after you're given that, hey, you have a clean bill of health, like you feel that relief and freedom. And so as you think about the, those things, uh, what kind of emotions rise up whenever you think about those moments of freedom? This is where y'all respond. What kind of emotions? Happiness. What else? Relief. Joy. Rest. Like sometimes, like many, even like tears of joy, right? Like when you experience that kind of freedom. You see, the thing, as we think about those moments... As we think about the emotions and the responses that often come from those moments, uh, the thing about each of those moments of freedom is that while good, they are never enough. And guess what? Like we all know this, they don't last. It's as if you're free for a moment, but then if given enough time or distance from the freedom you thought you had, it, it wears thin. Or you find yourself enslaved, or as, as, as Paul said last week, you are boxed in by something that seemed better, but really the reality was, is it was only new. The sheen is wore off of it. It's no longer freeing in the same way that it was. And so you have to go and try to seek freedom elsewhere. So one thing that I love, uh, that I have a lot of just like random interests, Things that I just like to learn about and read about. And one of those things uh, is that I love the idea of space exploration and flight. And the reason I say idea is because you will never, ever, ever find me on a rocket going to space, right? Like, if, if, if for me, like a moment of great freedom is every time I get to step off of an airplane, Right? During the time when I'm in the airplane, like I'm enslaved to my anxiety and like battling against it. But that man, that moment, that is a moment of relief, right? I feel free in that moment. But I love the idea, like while I would never go into space, I don't care. Like if they said, hey, you got a free trip? No, it's not happening. I'm staying right here. Like that's it. Like feet on the ground. Let's go. I'll watch. But man, I'll gladly learn about the exploits of others who've taken such a trip. But you see, there's something, there, there's something about the fact that right now, like right now in this moment, there are a group of astronauts and cosmonauts zipping around the earth at 4.76 miles a second. 
not not an hour, a second. They're going 17,000 miles an hour around the earth. That blows me away. Not only that, but as I was preparing my coffee this morning at the office, uh, I got on and uh, at 2 a.m. this morning, SpaceX Crew 1 landed in the Gulf of Mexico next to Florida. So they left the International Space Station and, man, they rocketed down (laughs) to Earth uh, and landed in the ocean. After a five-month extended stay, and and man, as I I watched the hatch bay door open this morning, the commander of this crew steps out, and guess what the first thing he did was? He didn't wobble, he he started dancing. Like, literally, you can go watch the video. As soon as he steps out, he starts dancing. And I was like, man, that is a bit odd. And I think that he probably danced because he was excited, because, uh, man, he had a a once-in-a-lifetime, maybe twice-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to space and come back. But I also believe that he, he, he danced because he was finally free of the weightlessness and stress of zero gravity and of life in a confined, in a confined space. Which to me seems a bit shocking because this guy had experienced what could be argued as one of the greatest moments of freedom anyone had experienced. He flew on a rocket to outer space, lived in zero gravity, floated, flew through the air for five months. And yet when he arrived back to earth, the first thing he did was dance. Because he was, no matter how much fun he had, he he was free again. The reason I say free is because while he seemed to be free and floating in zero gravity, he was confined to a 360 foot long capsule with a whole bunch of other people. And he could not escape without a suit that provided his protection, but also without being tethered to the very ship that he was confined to. You see, while his freedom seemed to be freeing, it was actually, when you think about it, a confined enslavement that if left there for an extended period would likely lead him to great disappointment and despair. He wouldn't feel free anymore. Zero gravity gets old after a while. There's only so many times that you can open up the food and shoot it through the air and fly over and catch it, right? After a while, it just gets boring. This is exactly what happens to us when we're met with the weight of expectation and pressure that comes along with the the freedoms that we experience in life. You see, driving and living on your own are great until you realize that things aren't free. And that you can't go whatever speed you want, right? Gas, insurance, bills, food, growing up, on the one hand free us, but they limit and enslave us at the same time. If you've had a medical scare and you've been given that clean bill of health, man, man, you're really excited about it and feel really free for a while. But man, what sets in? Is it going to come back? What's going to happen next? You begin to worry. And you see, because our freedom is always tempered, it seems as if our joy and delight is always tempered. But man, what if I told you that the freedom that is found in the good news of Jesus and and the good news of Jesus alone is a freedom that never fails or enslaves us. It is a freedom that actually allows us to live freely. This is what Paul is after. 
You see, the freedom found in the gospel is good news because it is a freedom that is not based on our circumstance. It's the same each and every day. No matter where you find yourself or how boxed in you feel at at the deepest recesses of who we are, guess what? The good news says you are free. Because the source of our freedom, as Paul has argued, is not found in what you do, but in what has been done for you. Today, are you living in that freedom? We who were enslaved have been given lasting freedom and are to not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Which leads to the question that must and will be answered for the rest of our time in this letter. What does this freedom mean for our lives? What do we do and how are we to respond to this type of freedom? Well, beginning in Galatians 5, verse 13, and all the way through the end of the letter, Paul is going to bring forth what freedom actually means for our lives. So let's look now at verses 13 through 15. We're going to be in these three verses uh, that are really going to set the stage for free living. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Okay, so in Galatians 5, what Paul does before pressing us into the fruit of what true freedom brings in our lives is he calls us away from the enslavement of self that is found in two forms. Because you see, if you don't understand how enslaved you were, you will not see that your enslavement is that big of a deal. And if you don't understand what freedom in Christ really is, you will always run back to self-enslavement. And so what he does in verses 1 through 12 in this chapter is he calls us to realize that because we are free, we don't have to look to anything else for freedom. That's the purpose of the letter from the start, is it not? There's no other gospel. There's no other way to freedom. He even goes further and says, if you're believing another way, then anyone that teaches another way, let them be cursed. And so we get that. And if you journey with us through this letter, that's uh, where we've set for the most part. With the call to put our faith in the freedom that's coming from Christ and not in what we do. He's the freedom that makes us free. But then, in verses 13 and 15 that we just read, Paul makes another statement in terms of our freedom. When he sends out this warning, he he shares a warning and says, hey, don't abuse the freedom you've been given. He says, just as you can't find freedom in the law, you can't now, because of what Jesus has done, live however you want. And so let's just stop and break down this layer of gospel freedom that's brought forth here. Because, man, I would argue that when we think about freedom this way, it's easy for us on the one hand to think about, man, oh, I can do whatever I need to do. But when that's cut away, the other side is, man, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. As Paul's going to do today, he's going to cut that away and he's going to show us something different. And I believe that this type of freedom goes against the way that we view freedom. 
especially as Americans. Like our view of freedom is is vastly different, even if you go to another country, right? Like if you go to another, like we've gone to Honduras and drilled water wells, or if you've gone, you know, I've gone to, to Haiti, or if you've been to Africa or wherever it is, like you go there, their view of freedom is way different than our view of freedom, right? Like sometimes, like, and we call it like, our view of freedom are it's first world problems, right? Like that, like we're upset about something. It's like, well, that's not really a, a free, that's just first world. That's just, man, something that, that is a blessing to your life. You see, Paul's argument has been that freedom defined is a life that is hidden in Christ's finished work alone. And, and therefore, and because of that, it is two things. It is relational and it is dependent. It's relational due to the fact that apart from a relationship with Jesus that is given to us by grace through faith, you have no life. So it's relational. But it doesn't just affect our relationship to God. Uh, if you've been a part of Men's Equip, if you go and look in the closet in the foyer area and you open it up, there's a stick man in there with a mustache and a ninja thing called Disciple Man. And uh, Disciple Man reveals to us or shows us what it means, what the gospel means for all of our relationships and why it is so deeply relational. You see, the good news transforms first and foremost our relationship to God. But secondly, it transforms how we view ourselves, which we often miss because we don't want to go there. But man, God is so good that he would actually, by his grace, do that. He doesn't leave us where we are. But then it moves outward. It affects our relationships with others. It affects our relationship to the world around us. See, the good news is deeply relational, but also it is a good news that is deeply dependent. And it's dependent due to the fact that it begins with grace and it ends with grace. That's it. It begins with, this is my beloved son or daughter in whom I'm well pleased, which is how Jesus' ministry began. Not because we are pleasing in and of ourselves, because Jesus was. And is, and he sits before the Father and intercedes on our behalf. But also it ends with, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because of what you've done, because of where you put your faith. It begins with grace and it ends with grace. Nowhere in between are you to be dependent on yourself to be enough to save you. That should be a moment right there, like we talked about earlier, which is like, oh, that's freedom. But that's real freedom. That's lasting freedom. Now, in terms of the way that we view freedom, though, especially as Americans, it, 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 that, that's not how we view freedom for the most part. You see, our freedom is proclaimed and found to be in what you can do, in how hard you can work, in how hard you can fight and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And guess what? I'll say today, man, working hard and being diligent, man, you can find that in the Scriptures. Do everything unto the Lord. But the reason you do that is because your freedom is found elsewhere and not in what you're doing. So you're actually freed up to do. You see, it's the call to freedom 
the, the way we often view freedom that says, I will do what I want to do because I'm free when I want to do it. And if you tell me I cannot, we'll do what we always have done. What will we do? We're going to rebel, right? Which, hey, that's not just this context. That's the entirety of Scripture, right? Like that's, that's what we see all the way from Genesis 3 onward is this rebellion, it's ingrained in all of us. I've said it before, like, man, you know, one of my favorite days of year is the 4th of July because, man, you get to see things go boom in the sky. Uh, and uh, so, and, and uh, so, but we have a day every year where we launch things into the sky and watch them blow up as a way to celebrate our freedom, but also to let everyone know, hey, you mess with us, we shoot these things at you, right? Like, we will be free, Okay. Like it's what we, it's ingrained in us. I I even believe that over the last year, what COVID has done in some ways is revealed how much we worship our ideas and ideals of freedom rather than the one who actually makes us free. I think we should wrestle with that today. Man, as you've met, been met with over and over and over again, these moments... How have you responded? Have you responded with the deep trust in that stuff? No matter if it's there or if it's not, doesn't make me free. Only Jesus makes me free. You see, the gospel frees us in an entirely different and yet better way. For the good news gives us a freedom that is beyond any circumstance. That's why Paul in one of his letters says, Look, I've learned to be content with whatever. Paul goes on and he says, man, if I'm a free man walking around or if I'm in prison, I'm content because guess what? He's dependent upon Jesus. His freedom isn't found in his circumstance. You see, in doing this, Paul states that while we are free from the aspect of performing for our freedom, this freedom from the law does not mean that you now have the freedom to live however you wish. You see, it's two sides of the same coin. Don't seek freedom in anything else. Freedom is only found in Christ. But also, don't abuse the freedom you've been given. It was bought with a price. This is why Paul in verse 13 says that while we've been called to freedom, don't be hindered, as verse 7 states, either by looking elsewhere or by using your freedom as an opportunity for what? For the flesh. Now quickly, let's define flesh because next week we're going to begin to really look at what the desires of the flesh are and how seeking freedom elsewhere or abusing our freedom leads to unhealthy works of the flesh. So the flesh, uh, simply defined, uh, is the fallen self. You see, apart from God's grace, we are enslaved to ourselves. We say it all the time. We all have sought to be rulers of our own little kingdoms. And guess what? We make really crummy rulers, do we not? You see, while Jesus was on the cross, the flesh was crucified. What we realize is it's not totally eliminated yet. And the result is that it is always looking for a way to disrupt and enslave us once again by pushing us to self-centered passions and desires that wreak havoc on every relationship we have. 
And so what Paul says is because you are free, don't use it for an opportunity to fulfill the passions and desires of you. This goes against everything the world tells us, right? The world tells us do everything you can to fulfill the desires and passions of you. Paul says the opposite. The good news says the opposite. Jesus' life, death, say the opposite. Rather, Paul says, live in step with God's Spirit, which is your new identity and nature that again has been given to you in Christ. And and through what? He, He says, through love, serve one another. Serve not yourself, serve one another. Now, I want to make note of two things here because, again, this is countercultural to everything that, man, I know that I was taught to believe or think. First is this. The product of the gospel taking root of our lives is the denial of self. Really, the, the act of, of your salvation is, is man, it, it, God's grace being revealed to you and you say, nope, not me. I can't do that. I can't do what Jesus did. But secondly, the product of the outworking of this good news is always worked out in the context of community. You see, if you are to deny yourself and serve others, guess what? You have to deny the aspects of self that want to isolate you. And instead, you have to be invested in the lives of others. To see this work out, you have to be a part of community. To serve others, you have to be around others. And so we see that we are to serve through love. So really quickly, um, maybe one, two word answers. How have you been served by the church? Not necessarily even this church, but how have you been served through love by the church? Friendship. What else? Any of you in the room have had kids and received diapers or meals or had something come up and happen and, uh, man, people just start showing up with meals at your house or, you know, uh, needing some help and, and man, you know, you can reach out and people can show up and have, like, we all, like, have been served in many ways by one another. Again, I want us to, to realize that and see that and be encouraged by that. Are we perfect? No. Do we get it right all the time? No. Here's just a few ways that, that I believe that we can serve one another through love. First, we can learn to pray for one another. Man, does your prayer life on a daily basis focus more on you or focus more on others? Are you crying out for the needs and the care of others? Or are you just sitting there like, okay, God, i got to get through my list. This is what I need today. Oh, yeah, and them too. Secondly, you can bear with one another. Impatience, love, grace, the long haul. Man, that's what most people don't want. Guess what? The church is messy, but it's a mess worth walking through. The flesh is the opposite. The flesh says this, I'll bear with you as long as it works for me. But if you get in my way or slow me down or do something I don't want you to do, I'm out. Next, we can learn to encourage one another. Like, 
really encourage one another. And on the other side, we can learn to receive that encouragement, okay? Like, let's learn to do both. Something we've been talking about in Men's Equip through Joshua is that we would be strong and courageous. This Wednesday, after we got done with our little meeting and, and prayer time and uh, great food time and, and laughter, uh, I was outside and Rich walked up and he said, hey, I want you to take heart. And on the one hand, I didn't know what to do. I was like, yeah, I know that's true and you're trying to encourage me, but uh, God, help me take that, like help me receive your encouragement. But it was good for my soul to hear that. We need that for one another. And we would say, hey, take heart. You're doing a good job, not flattery, but encouragement. You see, the flesh seeks to tear down to build up its own self-esteem while the spirit seeks to humble themselves and be self-forgetful, think about themselves less so they might, man, encourage others. You see, this is a radical product of the love we've been given. You see, love, real, genuine, gospel-centered love, does not point to us, but away from us. You see, when you respond through love and service to others, you don't point to self. Actually, what you're doing in those moments is you're pointing to Jesus, or you should be. Uh, Todd Wilson says that there is no one more free than Jesus. And yet there's no one who is a greater servant of mankind than Jesus. We, in light of how we've been served by the love of the freeing one, Jesus, are to have this same mind and purpose. Paul then says in verse 14, he says, look, the entirety of the law, the, the, the mark, the fulfillment to the law and the freedom found in the law can be summed up by loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, and I think this little statement, which is a phrase that we you've probably heard countless times if you've been a part of the church. I believe that this is a litmus test for our hearts and an indicator of where our heart is. Because if you take this test, if you ask yourself, man, am I loving others? Am I loving my neighbor the way I want to be loved? Am I serving my neighbor the way I have been served by Jesus, it'll reveal either the reality of your freedom or the depths of your enslavement. You see, the mark of Jesus' fulfillment to the law and the freedom in light of that is found in the loving of our neighbor as ourselves. I think as we sit with this phrase, Man, I think we need to sit in the, re- the reality that this little phrase is something that should be met with our desperate need for God's grace. So often we try to do that in our own strength. And guess what? We get burnt out. We get frustrated. We get tired of it. We get upset and angry. But God's called us to something different. He's called us to relationship and dependence. You see, in our flesh, this goes against everything we believe about freedom. If I... If I'm supposed to be free, then it's about me, right? What our flesh wants is to add, really what our flesh would say is our flesh hears that and says, no, just give me the law. Give me a list of things to do. Don't make me love other people. 
What Paul's saying is wrong. What the Judaizers and some in Galatian and even we can begin to believe is we can begin to believe that circumcision is easier than loving somebody. Like that's our tendency. Or physically harm me instead of making me actually love someone. This is why our flesh seeks the cop out of the law. It seeks to say, hey, yeah, but I've done all these things. Was I kind to my spouse this week? Oh, no way. But look at how many times I went to church. Look at how many. Look, look I mean, I, you know, I listened to KSBJ all week. Whatever it is, like we do that. And yet we don't love people worth anything. Because we're just trying to satisfy the flesh. See, the flesh seeks this because it allows us to control and gives us a pride of self and gives us a way out. But what Paul argues is that the mark of the Spirit in one's life is a life of both dependence upon God and humble service towards others. So an indicator of health in our lives is that we serve and love others in light of how we've been served and loved. Now, let me make a note really quick because some of you are like already checking that box. You can mask selfishness through service. Okay? You can do a lot of really good things in the church and be a part. And again, go back to that. And it can be selfishness. True gospel humility leads to service that's not about you, but about God's glories, glory and others seeing Christ in you. So this leads us to indicator number two, which is the sign of unhealth by which you are living a life is, is that you live a life that seeks to bite and devour one another for the sake of self rather than loving and serving one another in light of Christ's fulfillment of the law and your freedom. So, so we see this. He says, hey, be careful not to bite. He says, if you're biting and devouring one another, watch out. Now, for us, we often think about, like, if, especially if you have kids, like literal biting, right? Like, like we, like it's a physical act, like, and we're told, like, man, you know, like don't get in fights as a kid and don't punch anyone and don't push anyone and all those things. Yes and amen, but words. <laughs> And one of the worst things we've been taught is that our words don't matter and they don't hurt others, nor are we hurt by them, right? That nursery rhyme or whatever it is, I don't know, poem, whatever. You know, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words they never... It's a lie. Your words and how you speak to others reveals either freedom or enslavement. You see, what you say reveals the depths of you. And it is both public and in private. Because you can be very good in public at saying the right things. and others. But man, when you get in private, when you get in your house, how are you speaking to your spouse? How are you speaking to your kids? How are you speaking about other people? It's external and internal. Some of you are like, well, I don't ever say anything. Yeah, but inside, <laughs> you're saying stuff. <laughs> Probably things you would never say outside, Okay. And I think what this might mean is that we need to learn to change our... I think what it does mean, we have to change our words. And to do that is you need to dwell on the Word. 
It probably means talk less and pray more. For from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Your words matter. And and really, we're going to look at it this fall as we journey through the book of James. We're going to deep dive into what it means for our lives, how powerful our words are. But for now, let's heed the words of Paul when he says that if you bite and devour one another, he says you need to watch out because you're going to consume each other. Now, this should seem obvious to us, but man, if you've been in any way aware of what's going on in our culture right now, what you're going to notice is that we are being consumed. The church is being consumed by the biting and devouring of our words. And man, I think the fruit of that is this. If you're a part of Women's Equip, uh, this week in the, the homework on day three, Beth Moore says this, or B as I call her, uh, she says, where biting and devouring abound, the spirit is quenched. For the ego sharpens one's teeth like a honing steel sharpens a knife. And since it protects and projects itself, it is only soothed by the exposing and rejecting of any perceived rival. Your words quench and devour. And I think what's so crazy and should be so sobering for us is, man, how is Satan described in, in Scripture? It says he's a roaring lion prowling around looking to devour. I think that should sober us up with our words. Today, do you give thought to your words? I mean, today, if I were to walk around with you for a week and listen to every conversation you had, what would I hear come from your mouth? What would you hear come from my mouth? I think some of you might be thinking, well, Kyle, if you walked around with me all week, I wouldn't say those things, right? But if you're a follower of Jesus, do you not realize the Spirit of God goes with you all the time? So why do you say the things that you normally wouldn't say at all? Guess what? I, I matter in no way compared to God's Spirit. And yet we just blow that off. Do you speak with gentleness? What others say your speech is of the good news of the kingdom or the preservation of self. How might you need to repent and begin to speak differently? I think, again, the way you, through repentance, but also, man, you've got to get in God's word. Let's start speaking his word. Something we say to our kids all the time when they respond poorly is, hey, stop. Is that how we should respond? No, daddy. Okay, let's try that again. Right? It's, hey, we're not just, you just don't need to know that it's wrong. Say something that's actually different. Go about it a different way. We had a jar in our house for a long time. I think Haley brought it. Uh, It's a mason jar that has little, uh, I don't know, something in it. Uh, And every time our kids would say something kind and have a general response and answer, what we would do is we would say, okay, go put some little things in the jar. As a way to say, hey, man, we're trying to instill, like, we want to speak, we want to have a gentle answer and not a, a, an answer of anger. You see, the world around us needs the church to be good neighbors that display the good news of Jesus in word and deed. 
Brenham needs to see us not consuming one another or other churches, but building one another up through the loving service. And our mission statement, Center Church seeks to be what? To be good neighbors. To love our neighbors as ourselves. To Brenham, Texas, to the world beyond, wherever we go, displaying the good news of Jesus in word and deed. Not devouring, but building up. There's no greater call and no greater opportunity. You see, we are called to be the way of Jesus who humbled himself and served us in the greatest way possible. Therefore, may we through loving service and may we through this love proclaim the fulfillment and freedom that is only found in Jesus. May we serve in both word and deed. Not to perform, but in light of what has been done. For freedom you have been set free. Don't go back to the yoke of slavery. You have been freed to live freely forever. That's freeing. That will make you want to dance. It's okay if you do, all right? Like that will make you want to celebrate and worship. That will make you want to serve others. That will make you stop thinking so much about yourself all the time. I'm going to have the team come back up. And man, I, I want us just to wrestle. But man, where, where are you at today in light of that? And if you turn back to a yoke of slavery, are you performing today, man, as you think about, man, are you, do, you, do you love your neighbors? And guess what? It's not just your literal neighbor. It's anyone around you. <laughs> that's your neighbor, right? Anyone, guess what, that's not perfect, that you struggle to love sometimes, that's your neighbor. Which is everyone, right? And guess what? People feel the same about you. So it's okay. We're doing this together. That's why we should have grace for one another. Are you loving your neighbor? And are you doing that by your actions? But man, more than so, like, are you doing that with your words? And I'm not talking about just not using like, like biting or devouring words. Man, are you encouraging your spouse or your children or your co-workers like do your kids know like it, my daddy just doesn't show me he loves me he tells me like or vice versa right like word and deed you need to repent today because you're biting and devouring others you need to lay down those things of false freedom today Man, I, this has been my view of freedom and it goes against everything that is good news. It's not lasting. May we be the freest people so that people would see Jesus. They would see where freedom comes from. So I'm going to give you some time to reflect and pray. If you need prayer this morning, if you're like, hey, that's me, I don't know what to do, but I just need prayer, man, you can come and pray with me. If you know someone around you uh, that's part of your missional community or you're in a relationship with, say, hey, I need prayer for this. It's where I'm struggling. Man, pray with one another. I also want to invite you to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, if, you, if Jesus has been, uh, you have found freedom, in Him. And I invite you to come and experience a mark of that freedom 
which is sharing in communion and remembering where the source of our freedom lies. It's in His death. It's His blood and body being broken. And the hope that He has resurrected and that He's going to return and make all things new. We do that in remembrance of Him. But we live life. We live our freedom out in remembrance of Jesus. It's Christ in you. So God, I pray that by Your Spirit that You would reveal uh, and just lay out our hearts before us this morning. That we would see where uh, we are seeking freedom or uh, in, in wrong things or turning to yokes of slavery or seeking to bide and devour and, and strictly serve self instead of loving our neighbors. God, uh, may we be a people that don't just say, hey, I go to a church that says they want to be good neighbors to Brenham, but that we would be a people that are actually good neighbors to Brenham. And it would begin in this room. That You would deepen and grow our community and transparency before one another. That You would renew our hearts. That You would, as we sang earlier, set a fire in our soul that can't be contained or controlled. That we would want more of You and less of us. That we would give ourselves to the work of Your kingdom and the building up of others and the, the proclaiming of the freedom that's only found in You. We give you praise and glory and honor because you are the only one who deserves it. And where we seek to step into those areas, may we repent and receive your grace and mercy and live accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.